RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. So happy that you are here this week once again to listen to this thing we call a podcast. So it's official. WrestleMania 2020 is in Tampa, Florida, in my backyard. It was announced as we taped this today, and I'm sure they will be promoting it tonight on Monday Night Raw if you're listening to this when it drops. And uh, actually, i, I got to say, Monday Night Raw has been a little bit better. Uh, I've actually fa- uh, fast-forwarded less than I normally do, and I actually watched a little SmackDown, which is, is very rare. So uh, I, I saw that uh, it was announced uh, today as we're taping this that Jeff Jarrett was added as a senior member of the uh of the writing team. I know Bruce Pritchard's been added and Paul Heyman has taken a bigger uh, interest in the writing. So those three guys, man, if those three guys can't, and Michael Hayes can't get it done, uh, nobody's going to get it done. Um, there's a lot of history uh, in uh, in Paul Heyman, Jeff Jarrett, Bruce Pritchard, and Michael Hayes. So I'm um, hoping that the product will continue to uh, get better and especially leading into WrestleMania. And then, like we just said, leading into WrestleMania 2020, I think it's 36 that's going to be here in Tampa. Um, I can tell you that that high-level WWE staffers are already warning people that there's not going to be any comps available. So if they can't get any, I sure as hell can't get any. Uh, So... uh, uh, but uh, hell, you know it's cool. Actually, I saw Roman Reigns talking and Charlotte Flair talking in the press conference, and um, you know, so many of the people that are going to be part of uh, WrestleMania 36 in Tampa, they they started on Dale Mabry, if you know where that is, in the Florida Championship Wrestling Program before NXT uh, opened up in Orlando. Uh, so many, you know, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch. Uh, Sasha Bang. I'm just re- trying to roll off the top of my head. There's so many more uh, that that started there. So that has to be kind of cool for them to come back where it all started. They were wrestling in front of a couple hundred people uh, every week uh, doing TV tapings and trying to uh, get their characters uh, nailed down and their interview skills nailed down. You've heard so many, almost everybody that we talk to uh, rave about Dusty Rhodes being instrumental, God bless him, in character development and interview development in uh, in that time. So uh, I'll tell you what, Dusty's going to be looking down with a smile on his face. WrestleMania in Tampa. Uh, remember they did uh, the what they called the last tangle in Tampa, which was... Um, Back in the late 1970s, I believe, or early 80s, it was they built, built it as Dusty's last uh, ch- chance to wrestle for the World Heavyweight Championship. And, of course, he went on and wrestled many more times and won several times the World Championship. But that's what it was billed at, the last chance in Tampa. And they ran what's now uh, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, and uh, drew about 10,000 people, I believe. And so I'm sure that uh, there's a big smile on Dusty's face up uh, up in the sky, and I'm sure he'll be looking down 
and enjoying the fruits of his labor uh, being the stars of WrestleMania in Tampa where their careers all began. So I think that's kind of cool, full circle kind of stuff. Uh, I've been to several WrestleManias. I've never been to a WrestleMania where I live, so it'll be interesting to see from that perspective and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, So uh, glad to see they finally pulled the plug and uh, hey if we could have a national championship game and if we could have a Republican uh, national uh, convention and if we could have a uh, a Super Bowl many Super Bowls actually then there's no reason that we can't host a Wrestlemania I'm sure it will be great and I'm sure there will be a lot of things going on I might even rent a room out hell I was thinking about P-Tuck what do you think rent out the guest room you can stay with David Penzer and we'll, uh, you know, we'll go out and have some drinks and how much? Hell, I was thinking a thousand. Fifteen hundred. Somebody proposed it for Jerry Briscoe and they said five grand. I'm thinking for Jerry Briscoe, he could get ten grand easily, not uh, a night. But uh, uh, I, I have to stay more. No, I, I don't think I'm doing that. I'd, I'd have to. T- Talk to the wife, but God, it is tempting. Anyway, got a great uh, guest this week. Went up to uh, went up to uh, Athens, Georgia, in what was the trip from hell, but a great event uh, for Universal Championship Wrestling. They did their first ever live pay-per-view on Fight TV. All the other pay-per-views they have done were pre-taped and post-produced, and... Great crowd. Uh, Scott Hudson was there doing backstage interviews. Uh, Kevin Sullivan was there handling the booking. Uh, Christine Johnson uh, was there, a name you probably don't know of, but she was a producer for WCW back in the heyday and also WWE before that. And uh, so it's like getting a small little part of the band back together again. And Scott Steiner was on the card, Buff, Carlito. Uh, it was Lodi. I saw Lodi and Sick Boy. How crazy is that? So uh, it was great to see those guys and and do a live event. I don't do very many live pay-per-views anymore. And uh, so that was fun. And as soon as I saw Scott Hudson, I said, got to get him for the podcast. I got good news, though. I convinced, unless he was full of crap, and I don't totally 100% take that off the table but i he, he normally he's pretty straightforward i have convinced scott steiner to do a podcast and i've convinced him to do this podcast and so we're hoping next week or in the weeks to come that we will have scott steiner for about 30 40 minutes i don't believe he's ever done a podcast before uh and i don't even know that he knows what a podcast is but he said uh if it, if it's a favor to you, I'll do. I'll give you thirty to forty minutes. So, and he's usually not the BSer like Teddy Hart, who still hasn't been on the podcast. But Teddy, I'm I'm gonna get you too. You watch. But uh, so that, just a little tease. That would be fun to have Scott Steiner. But uh, Scott Hudson is our guest this week, and uh, it was uh, he's going to talk about his story and his time in WCW and what went right and what went wrong and the highlights and the lowlights and we'll relive some fun times in the uh, announcer's trailer that was like getting an education and story time uh, and and a comedy uh, uh, club all in one uh, place. It was amazing and uh, so lucky that I got to be a part of that. I'm sure Scott will tell you the same thing. Hey, why I threw out some uh, uh, on Twitter to, uh, if anybody had some questions for Scott. Got a lot of great questions. We're going to use about uh, 
four or five of the ones I got, but I got a lot of great questions. And I, I just want to thank people for that. Uh, I love interacting on Twitter. If you don't follow me, you can follow me at David Penzer or follow the show at Penzer Ringside. But uh, it was a lot of fun to see what people wanted to uh, ask Scott and a lot of great questions that I hadn't thought of. So I'll be using them and I'll be giving you credit and uh, keep participating. And if you're not following me on Twitter, uh, be sure to do so. We don't we don't get involved in anything that's not professional wrestling or fantasy football or, you know, bog people down with politics and and, and, and stuff that causes uh, friction. So invite you to join us and if you're interested in renting out a room in the house of david penzer for wrestlemania no i'm just kidding i'm i'm I'm, pizza, I'm talking myself into this but i'd have to clean up this office and you see you've been in this office almost every week <laughs> you know i could always lock the door from the inside i guess <laughs> Oh, this, my office is a collection of a lot of crap and it needs to be cleaned. But uh, that's a whole different story for a whole different day. Uh, so and just to make a, to sort of uh, wrap this up before we get Scott Hudson on, excited for Scott Steiner, spread the word. Uh, he's never done a podcast before and I'm sure he has a lot of fun stories to tell. And uh, without further ado then, let's bring on this week's guest, uh, one of the nicest guys in the business. And I'll admit that term is thrown around a little bit too much, but for him, uh, I will throw it around. Uh, former Global Wrestling Federation, World Championship Wrestling, TNA, and Four nights in WWE, play-by-play man, Mr. Scott Hudson. Welcome to City Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, excited to have on this week a great storyteller. And when they talk about nice guys in the business, guys that have like no heat from anywhere, which I'm not one of those guys, but there are a, a enough that you could count on two fit two hands. Uh, this gentleman is one of them. He's former GWF, WCW, TNA, and for four nights, WWE play by play man, one of the good guys in the business. I was happy to see him last weekend in Athens, Georgia, and I'm even more happy to have him on the podcast to talk about his career and tell some stories. I'm talking about the one and only Scott Hudson. Scott, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Dave. It's, uh, man, it's great. It was great to see you in Athens last weekend, and uh, I'm honored to be on the podcast. I'm honored to have you. Uh, uh, when I put, when I went on to Twitter and asked people for questions, uh, there was a lot of excitement. Uh, people said, "Perfect guest, great guest, doesn't do enough podcasts." So uh, we're excited to have wow. you. So let's so let's start off at the top, and then we'll we'll get into uh, our time together and 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 some of the sure. memories you have. But um, assuming, although I could be totally wrong, that you became a fan of Georgia Championship Wrestling in Atlanta, or absolutely. Uh, what 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 year would yeah, that be? I, I, uh, 1970. I was uh, five years old. Holy crap! And I, uh, yeah, I, I go back. Um, my my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, was a huge wrestling fan, and we would go down. I grew up in Thomaston, Georgia, just uh, near Griffin, where you and I will see each other in uh, you know in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that's where I grew up when I was little, and we would drive down to just south of Columbus where my granddad lived and you know on Saturday afternoons weekend with the grand folks and he was a great guy he was he was just outstanding but we would watch WRBL out of Columbus channel 3 and they did live wrestling 
playing every Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. It wasn't tape delayed. It wasn't pre-produced. It was a live show, um, even back then. And I would watch him, and I I would see his little lounge chair, or his bark lounger, and he had just ripped the arms off of their moorings, just getting all excited watching, you know, Bob Armstrong and Big Bill Dromo and Oki Shakina and El Mongol and Dick Seinborn and the Assassins and those guys. And I just, I, I love my granddad and I just fell in love with wrestling, watching it with him there. So yeah, it dates back to 1970. Wow, I expected you to say like 76 or 78. That's great. Uh, do you have, recall, because obviously you were young, you were five, do you recall the uh, the split with Ann Gunkel when there was two promotions, the All-Star and or All-South Wrestling and Georgia Championship Wrestling? Actually, I do. Um, when, I, when I went in, like anybody else and probably everybody listening to, to your broadcast, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you become a mark and you become a fan, you're all so even though I was young, I think the split was in seventy four. I want to say seventy. I want to say uh, seventy three. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 Ray Gunkel died in Savannah, and the you know the Georgia Championship crowd uh, wanted to buy her out, and she she didn't want to do win business, and then we a different name and screwed her out of every dime instead of. No, not enough that she was asking for. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know all of that, obviously, but I remember when all of a sudden uh, there was a different television show uh, that came on, and they were always from the Oglethorpe Arena, which was at Oglethorpe University uh, north of Atlanta, when Georgia Championship would, would be in the in the TBS studio or another little studio around Atlanta. Um, but then, you know, all south, you know, took a lot of the talent that Georgia Championship had. You know, took took um, the Assassins and then took Ox Baker and, you know, and Dick Steinborn and a lot of those guys. And so for a while there, we had, you know, we had, you know, the Monday Night Wars on Saturday afternoon uh, in Georgia with, uh, with All South and Georgia Championship both putting on really, really good TV shows. That's cool that you remember that. I started watching Georgia Championship Wrestling around 77, 78 when uh, the Superstation uh, went national. And uh, I, I look back at those times and some of the greatest array of talent. It seemed like at one point for a couple of years they were bringing in for the Omni shows, like every major wrestler. You would get the Funks, Dusty Rhodes, the Briscoes, Bruiser Brody, Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, did you ever go sure. to those Omni Super shows? And if so, what, 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 do you have one that's stands out oh god I, I went to a ton and no not one stands out but that whenever they would put on i mean you know there were no star caves and, and that sort of thing but there was always uh the christmas night show at the omni uh and thanksgiving night at the omni because uh you know paul jones and jim barnett uh the guys that ran the company would think and, and they were exactly right that on thanksgiving you get up you have a big dinner with family, and then by the middle afternoon, you're you know you're arguing, you hate everybody in the house, and you want to get out, <laughs> and so come to the Omni, and they did. You know there was eighteen and a half thousand people every Thanksgiving for years and years. Same with Christmas. You've opened the presents, you've cleaned up the gift wrap, and you know what do we do now? Well, let's go to the Omni, and so those Christmas and Thanksgiving night shows at the Omni pre Starcade, I went to a couple of those, and you know I, I can't remember who was on the shows. I could look it up, but. You know, but you're right. They brought. I remember one time I went and they had the Sheik, 
uh, Ed Farhat. And, you know, for whatever reason, that guy was just over like crazy with me. And I, mean, I assume he was working Dusty or, you know, whoever the, the lead baby was back then. Um, and it, it was just incredible. Um, you know, he came out with a snake and, you know, you didn't see live snakes anywhere unless you're out in the woods. And he's got the snake and he's you know, praying to Mecca and throwing fire. Oh, God, I was so into that. And I, I saw him. I did a couple of times at the Omni. So anytime the Sheik was going to show up, I was probably going to find a way there. I don't suppose you were at the one where they had the cage match with the assassins against Dusty and Ole, and they had uh, no. oh, do you remember do you remember the match I'm talking about though, where they had it, G- it was a, G- yeah, that was the one where uh, yeah, where Gene and uh, was it Koloff or Koloff. the referees? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then they all turned on Dusty, and it went it was like six on one. And Ole turned heel, and Gene turned heel, and Koloff was already a heel, and the assassins were heels, and it was just this melee. But yeah, that great turn of 1980, um, some of the best promos ever. Uh, you know, Dusty was a solid promo no matter what he did, but you know, Ole's promos during that time were incredible. I remember they did a, an episode of Georgia Championship where, and this is a morbid thought, but when some uh, when a wrestler of renown back in the day when it stopped being a weekly occurrence would pass away, especially like Chris uh, with Benoit, they, they had, before they knew what had happened on that raw, they had everybody doing testimonials about him, just, you know, a solo shot talking to the camera. Um, and they did an episode of Georgia championship with all of the guys doing solo shots, talking to the camera about Ole's heel turn. You know, everybody in the company was putting over that angle. It was so hot. It's on YouTube, actually. Not the entire yeah, episode. Really? Yeah, not the entire episode. But there's uh, there's highlights of uh, they they show the the, the angle. Uh, they show the uh, they show Dusty's promo that he had cut uh, before. I guess before uh, people came in, or in the, I guess the night before. I'm not sure. And uh, and Oli came out and said, "Gordon, I had to pretend to like you for a year and yep. a half, and I had to pretend to be That's friends right. with Dusty Rhodes and Tommy Rich, and then everybody came out." And like you said, put over that angle as uh, as, as the biggest thing, and it was it, it was huge. Uh, it's sure. fun. It's fun reminiscing. But if you get a chance on on YouTube, put that in. Ole Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, Georgia Championship Wrestling. There's a there's a whole bunch of stuff on there that uh, I, I just scribble that out to check. I don't I don't watch a whole lot of YouTube. I try. I, I do have the network, so I'll try to catch up with that. But I don't think it's on there. But I'll find it on YouTube. That'd be worth reliving. That was a fantastic angle. Yeah, and I think the only thing that was unsuccessful about it is Lars as a babyface against uh, J- J- against Gene and Ole as heels. I just I think that fell a little bit short. But I, you know, that's look you know looking back, uh, if that's the only part of the angle that fell short, uh, I know that angle. Drew and, and, and 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 it should, that should have been a big part of it because Gene and Lars um, were the Anderson brothers. Right. Way back, you know, right. in the early, early, early 70s, and they brought in Ole. So the fact that Lars was there and wouldn't go off with his brothers should have been a huge part of the angle. But you're right. I, I, I barely remember that he was part of it. You're, that, that's true. It, that part died. Brother versus brother angles, and for the most part, not always, t- 
tag team partner, longtime tag team partner angles like uh, Ricky Morton turning heel on Robert Gibson. They yeah. never seem to like Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner angle. They never seem to uh, to, to go where you think they're going to go. And uh, I was talking to my son, who's a huge wrestling fan, my oldest, and he was like, "Do you think that?" Because uh, I guess everybody's wondering now at uh, Double or Nothing who Cody's going to wrestle. And my my pick, just for the record, is Dean Ambrose. But uh, I, I guess the rumor. Ooh, I guess the, good. guess the rumor out there is that it's Dustin and Dustin's leaving WWE mm-hmm. and I was like but they did that before and nobody cares about brother versus brother and I I tried to explain to him the whole the whole history of it and uh and and very rarely I'm not saying it never caught fire but very very rarely uh you know people there was a reason that people loved the Rock and Roll Express for a reason it's cuz they loved those two together not against each other but we're getting totally That's right the, the- the sum is greater than the uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the sure. parts. That's exactly right. Just about any great tag team, uh, uh, you know, and there are some exceptions. But the minute you split them up, they're not they're not nearly as over as they were as a team. Bret Hart and Jim Knight are being the obvious. You know, first one that jumps out is not quite there. But you look at uh, at the roadies. Um, you know, when they tried to. We, 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 when we were in WCW, they split off Animal because, you know, Hawk wouldn't come back in or he was having his issues, and they brought in Animal, and he just didn't mean that much. You know, it was Animal, it was good to see him, but, and yeah, it just didn't didn't work. And then when they put Hawk with, uh, oh, uh, Kensuke Suzaki in Japan as the Hellraisers, that didn't work. When they tried to make Heidenreich the, the, the third road warrior, that didn't work. It's just those two, when you get lightning in a bottle like that, you don't mess with it. You just don't. You just ride it out as long as you can. Well, I'll take it even farther. Fleetwood Mac fired Lindsey Buckingham this past year, <laughs> and uh, they, they're they really struggling out on tour to fill up the same arenas they were selling out overnight. And Lindsey Buckingham, before he had a, a medical issue recently, he went from uh, playing 10,000, 15,000, 20,000-seat arenas with Fleetwood Mac to like 1,500-seat hall. So nobody bene- nobody benefited from that uh, from that, and that's because you know Lindsey Buckingham and Fleetwood Mac are like Hawk and Animal, and uh, uh, so you know it doesn't always work out that way. You know, like Arnell Panetta and Journey, that's been the exception. But uh, uh, I, that's I, true. I, that guy's really good. I digress. So uh, when did you first start? That you're a huge fan since you were five years old. When did you first start yeah. thinking? I want to maybe like be involved in this somehow and, and, and how am I going to do it? Um, I'll tell you a story that I've never told before. Oh, I love those um, kind. <laughs> well, isn't that great, but I've just never had, a, nobody's ever asked me that. Uh, in 1985, uh, you know, I subscribed to every wrestling magazine that I could find. If I saw a cover or a logo for a new magazine at the, you know, at the store, I'd buy it and then subscribe to it. You know, send them a check, start sending them in, and one of them was Wrestling Eye, the George Napolitano uh, stuff. Right. And when I did that, you know, it was great. I got another wrestling. I was, I was getting like five and six a month or whatever. But because I subscribed to Wrestling Eye, Dave Meltzer bought or paid or begged Napolitano for his uh, for his mailing list, and I got like four free issues of The Observer. Um, this one, Dave was still typing it on, you know, like a, a manual typewriter, and and I got him, and I thought this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Now I get it. Now I understand everything. And so I subscribed to that, and I had already been doing radio. I was uh, a disc jockey, and I was 
um, you know, I played ball in high school and college, and I was a, I was a disc jockey, uh, you know, while I was going to graduate and uh, undergraduate and graduate school, and so I started learning the inside of the business, and then eventually, I married up, you know, being a, a disc jockey and a sports announcer with being a complete mark that because of the Observer, I had learned uh, at least what I thought was enough about the business to to do a half decent job in calling the calling the calling the matches on television. So, and like anything else, um, you know, I offered to work for free, which basically guarantees you'll get hired. Sure. And I did that, and and and, and never looked back. And what promotion was the first one? Um, that was going to be uh, Joe Petticino's. Oh boy, uh, it was the one that the Southern uh, Southern Championship. It was the one Jerry Blackwell ran for a while and then gave it up, and, and Joe Petticino took it over yeah. um, and was doing shows but not doing television. And he was going to start doing television again, but had to change the name to Georgia All Star. And I was at a show, just a house show. Steve Prazak and I, uh, my best friend, who's still my best friend, we went to a show, and the ring announcer they had. You know, just screwed up every name. He, he, you know, he's looking at this girl and calling her Dave Penzer. I mean, it was that bad. And after it was over, I went up to Joe, whom I'd never met, but I knew from seeing on television. And I said, I don't know what you're paying this stiff, but I'll do it for nothing. And I'll hard, and um, off we went. You know, you bring back so many memories when you're talking about the magazines and the Observer, and I don't know that. I, 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 you could you could explain it, but I don't know that uh, somebody who's in their twenties or even thirties, uh, because of the the differences, could understand. I mean, you could you know they had magazine stores that were full of racks and racks and racks of magazines, and there was at one point like ten different wrestling magazines, and you would sit there sure. li- literally and and go through all every magazine, and then subscribe to them like you said, and then uh, but and and that information was always about six to eight weeks behind. But you didn't care because you just wanted your wrestling fix. And then the Observer came out and everybody got smart to that. And like you said, light bulbs started going off in people's heads. You know, Uh, you know, people knew the business Mm -hmm. was a work and and, but they didn't know, you know, who was under this mask. And, you know, that that the guy who was playing the Russian used to be the enhancement guy that you remember uh, for four years back and Mm -hmm. uh, as under a different character. So it was just so it was so enlightening. And, And I think it's hard for people to understand because now you just everything's a click away uh from you know even with twitter you know you just you don't even have to click you just turn on your twitter feed and they just they tell you what's going on so it's pretty crazy uh but you're just that's exactly right when with the magazine the magazines would come out you know once a month and then the observer comes out once a week which is basically you know, in comparison four times as fast and now it's instantaneous other people like live tweeting a television taping or a pay-per-view. So you don't want, there's, there's no delay if you're not watching the show, but yeah, back in the day when there's no internet and God, that makes, makes it sound so old, which I guess we are, yeah, we are. but it, it, that was revolutionary to be able to, Oh, by this weekend, I'll know what's going to happen on the next three weeks of television. That just, you know, that just blew me away. And then the the one nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred hotlines. Uh, uh, sure. And they 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 held their spot because you got immediate news, you know. So you didn't even That's have to correct. wait a week for Meltzer to come out. But if you go back, if you're really hardcore like you and I, and I bet you'll agree, if you go back and you go back and read a to uh, nineteen. 
85 edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter with all the different territories and all that. That's still interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. That still holds up. Oh, yeah. It's actually, I still have them. I it, have every Observer that I've ever gotten. It's actually more interesting to me sometimes to go back to 1985 and look and remember all the different territories and the angles than to look at the, the, the recent ones just because everything's changed so much and we already know ahead of time because of the Internet. But we, we sound like old uh, 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 crotchety <laughs> people. I don't, I don't mean to do that, but it's, just a, it's a totally different world. I just don't think people could get it. And you brought back you, – you're talking about it. You brought back a lot of memories for me as well. So you end up in the Global Wrestling yeah. Federation uh, through your connection with Joe Pettisino. How did that happen? What was your thought? Right. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, the Georgia All-Star thing was doing well. Joe and um, his wife, Bonnie Blackstone, hosted a six-hour block of pro wrestling in Atlanta on Saturday night. It went from 8 in the evening until 2 in the morning. I was so jealous. I I was so jealous. It it was awesome. We got a WCW show. We got a WWF show. We got Memphis. We had the Georgia All-Star show. And then it would vary. Sometimes he would air Puerto Rico, you know, the Victor Quinones, uh, Carlos Colon stuff. Sometimes he would air uh, Portland. Um, an AWA show every now and then, but the, you know, the, and, and, and so then the rest of the six hours was a filler, you know, in sure. studio stuff, but it was five shows over six hours and, um, it did great. Well, he got the idea, Joe did that he, you know, wanted to try and do a national promotion, uh, to compete with the WWF and WCW. This would have been in 90, 1990. And, and this is so embarrassing um, for Joe, but he, he, it's not a secret, is that he fell for the old Nigerian scam. <laughs> you know, I've got $80 million on a boat yep. on the Atlantic, but I can't bring it into port until I pay the taxes, and I don't have any money to pay the taxes because all my money's on the boat and all this other BS. Uh, but he fell for that, and the guy told him that he had all this money he was going to put behind him to start the group. So Joe, based on that uh, representation, you know, it secured airtime, secured the sportatorium out in Dallas renovated the sportatorium out there. Um, and we, uh, you know, we went out there every weekend for a year and did TV on Friday night and Saturday night. And I came back to Atlanta on Sunday. Um, and it, it was, it was a really good show, but the, uh, the money wasn't there. Obviously the money wasn't on a boat. This guy was a shyster, but he did find other financing to keep it afloat as long as he could but when you know when you think you've got 80 million dollars and then at, at the end of the day you may have three hundred thousand dollars um you're not going to make it long term not with a national promotion i don't even think they ever really got off the ground on doing house shows uh, maybe you know maybe a two handfuls around the country there was a tv promotion only which did okay i mean it was doing good numbers but you can't make uh, a long-term living doing that a lot of talent came through there, though. Jerry Lynn, uh, Sean Waltman. Uh, didn't Steve Austin start in Global? He did. Uh, Harlem Heat. I've had uh, uh, Stevie Ray on the program, and he talks in detail about how he got into uh, into Global Wrestling Federation and how much it helped them uh, when they got to yeah. go to the next level. How, how did it help you when you got to go to the next level? Um. 
Well, at first it was a baptism by fire because I, you know, I had been doing Georgia All Star, which was in you know an auction barn in front of eighty people, which was great fun. But you know there were times when the wrestling, as you can imagine, was so terrible that it was up to Steve Prazak and I, who was doing color with me, and we were just entertaining ourselves. And it was actually a really funny show because of us. When the wrestling was really terrible, we start cracking jokes and doing insider stuff, and people would still watch. Didn't have to do that with the talent we had out in global. So I had to learn moves, and instead of you know, it's kind of like you know, calling an Eddie and Dean, you know, twenty reversal sequence in the middle of the match every match. You know, like I couldn't be funny. I had to learn the moves and learn the psychology and learn. You know the roller coaster theory that uh, that Tony Schiavone taught me. That was you know when the guys are taking the you know the viewers to the top of the hill, you lay out. You don't need to say anything. But when you go down to the bottom of the hill and are resting and come to the next slot, that's when you take the viewers to the top of the hill and you keep the viewers at the top the whole time and you just offset what the guys are doing. I had to learn to do that. And I did it with John Horton, uh, Craig Johnson. Uh, who had done USWA out in uh, Dallas, and he and I did Global together. And he's a great, he's still a great friend and a great guy, and I learned a lot from him. But the thing, I'll tell you a, a funny bit, is I'm 6'1", and John is like 6'5". And, you know, we're we're doing TV together, and you see the two of us together, we just look like two guys. One's, uh, you know, four inches taller than the other. But when we're doing stand-ups and we're interviewing no offense, but Jerry Lynn, who's like five nine, five ten, you know, it, it looks like we're interviewing, you know, a, a, a high school kid. So we would have to shoot TV um, with John and I. We'd shoot it from the waist up, and and John and I are stretching our legs out, basically doing a split of both of us. So we're the same height as some of the talent we're interviewing. Um, now when we're talking to Gordy. Fine, he's bigger than both of us. Sure, but when we're talking to you know eighty percent of the talent, we're having to kill ourselves so we don't tower over the talent. You can't have the announcers looking like two beasts, uh, and you know nobody's going to pay to see. And while the talent is standing there in between them, you know, looking you know a, a foot shorter than them. Was there any one start in your year with Global Wrestling Federation that you saw in in your mind? You said this guy's going to be huge. Just. Uh, two, uh, Lightning Kid, Sean Waltman, and Jerry Lynn. No question about it. But back then, uh, we also had Scotty, Scott Levy, uh, who ended up being Raven. But he was already, you know, fairly well established as Scotty the Body. And he was Scott Anthony, the Palm Beach heartthrob with us. But uh, I, I knew... You know, I, you know, Scott was already something. But, uh, you know, to bring it full circle, we saw Buff the other night in Athens, you and I. Buff was out there, and he was the handsome stranger. And, he, and Buff, you know, a good-looking guy, shredded, and he comes out wearing like a long ranger mask and handing out roses to the women in the building. And you could tell he had something, too, uh, Mark. So I'd say Mark and, and, and Kid and Jerry Lynn, those three I knew were going to be something. You could tell. Yeah, we had Mark on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the auction barn and the, his time as the handsome stranger. And he uh, he definitely talked about baptism by fire. He got that uh, going right to WCW from uh, the Global Wrestling mm-hmm. Federation. So That's right. one of the, I got to tell you, and I'm not kissing your ass because you're on my show. One of the things I always respected yeah. about you and Prazak especially were that you were legitimate 
legitimate wrestling announcers on a, le- a legitimate sports ne- network, but you guys didn't think twice about going to center stage or going to an indie show and sitting there and, 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 and you know, not being stars, but being fans and enjoying yourself. And sure. I don't, I don't even know, you know, I, when I, when I started doing my my gig i i, I would my, you know i would you know go to a show and i'd sit you know and i'd watch as a fan but i, I wouldn't like i was like embarrassed to like cheer and yell and because you know i'm you know <laughs> I, I guess in my mind i'm in the business so now you can't participate anymore uh but you guys wow. never did and in in that vein uh one of our early guests we've been doing this for about a year and a half one of our early guests was the disco inferno and we uh, yeah. uh definitely reminisced about how you guys came to center stage and got disco his job uh by yelling sure. Dis- D- disco <laughs> sucks because you know most of the people at center stage uh didn't really react they were like they got free tickets every week and or or right. they you know they gave them a couple of food coupons to come in and uh and and so it was like it was sort of like nothing against uh TNA but it was sort of like the impact zone after a while it was the same fans and it took you know something really special to get them to pop the two things that always stand out for yeah. me are one because it was in the inner city that tpn news got over so huge legitimately with the crowd but they mistook that because they were then going to like montgomery alabama and nobody in montgomery alabama <laughs> gave a crap about a, 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 a rapper even though the, the the people in downtown atlanta loved it uh and then the other one was disco inferno and that's because of you guys that was not organic organic like uh pn news and uh so tell me your memories of that and uh you know were you actively trying to get him a job or just having some fun uh no no we we know glenn worked uh you know george all-star and worked uh i think he worked something global maybe but uh you know we knew him he's a good friend he's a great guy uh he's a we're talking about we're talking about glenn gilberti now yes yes um great guy and you know you <laughs> well, it, to us he was back then. I'm kidding. He just the guy has <laughs> but, a ton of heat. But and, I'm oh yeah, I know. But no, he no. We, well, we 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 when to say we got him a job is not accurate. We probably put him on their radar, and he got himself the job because he's talented. But you know, that, when they're looking for talent, and they would they knew who we were. Who's good? Who did you guys work with that was good? You should try this uh, Glenn Gilberti guy. Um, he was Disco Inferno with us. He was, uh, oh boy, what was it? He was the magnif- the Magnificent One, and he was Glenn uh, Instant Cash Gilberti, the Georgia Millionaire, doing a lottery gimmick. You know, he he's just crazy coming up with ideas. So yeah, I, I won't say we got him his job. We just made WCW folks aware of him, and he got himself the job. So how did you end up in WCW? Um, this is a really cool story. In 1995, I had been working for the for the federal courts for a year and a half, I guess. And for better or for worse, I had done pretty well. I mean, I know what I'm doing, you know. But we have a awards ceremony at the end of the year in December or near Christmas. We'll go out and to a nice restaurant, and they'll give out awards for the year to staff. This is a you know this is about 130 person office so there's a lot of a lot of people and you know they give out a handful of awards so anyway i got employee of the year wow 
So it was really cool. And I, you know, they said, and employee of the year for 1995, Scott Hudson. I was oh, great clapping. And I go up and take the award and thank the boss and the chief judge and all. And I sit back down. And about that time, the waiter comes up to me at this restaurant where it's called uh, the Abbey in Atlanta. It used to be a church. And it is, again, a church. But for a while, it was a restaurant. And says, are you Scott Hudson? I said, yes, I am. And he said, I've got a call for you at the Mater D stand, you know, no cell phones back then. Sure. I said, okay. And, uh, I go up and I said, this is Scott Hudson. And I hear, yo, Scooter, this is DDP. And it was Pete. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I knew him, you know, from hanging out with Disco and Chris Canyon and, and Glacier and, you know, and all those guys, we'd, we'd become friends and would hang out and watch pay-per-views together and stuff. And, um, he said, I got somebody who wants to talk to you. I said, sure. You know, interrupt me getting an award in front of, you know, and with all my, you know, coworkers. And it was Eric uh, Bischoff. And he said, um, hey, Scott, it's Eric. I said, Eric, nice to talk to you. And he goes, I'll make this quick. Um, we've got a spot for an announcer. And everybody that I've talked to has said you'd be good at it. And I've watched your work, and I think you'd be good, too. Can you come in for an audition next week? I said, oh, I'd be happy to, be honored to. What day? Eh, whatever. Come in Tuesday. Blah, blah, blah. So that was it. I went from getting employee of the year to sitting down, getting right back up and being offered an audition with WCW in like two minutes. I'd say that's the definition and of a pretty good night. That was, what was it? it was a lunch. <laughs> but yeah, it was a great lunch. Best lunch ever. And so then I, I go and well, you know where WCW used to be in the CNN, uh, CNN Center. Yes. You know, up in the 12th, 12th floor of the South Tower was the offices, but they had that facade down on the main level near the food court that everybody thought was the office. It was really just the studio. Studio, yeah. Well, I went there. I went there, and I sat out in the little reception area, and there's no reception. There's nobody there. And finally, after I'm sitting there, Keith Mitchell, God love him, great guy, sticks yes. his head out and says, are you Scott? I said, yeah, I am. He said, I'm Keith. Uh, just hold tight. We know you're here. We'll call you in a second. I said, terrific. He went back behind that door that I, you know, you could barely even tell there was a door. And, um, you know, I, I still sit there. He comes back out 10 minutes later and says, all right, Scott, we're ready for you. I walk through that door and I'm on the set of WCW Worldwide. And there stands Bobby Heenan, who I've never met in my life. Wow. And Keith goes, Scott, this is Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby and Scott Hudson shook his hand. Hey, Bobby, very nice to meet you. And he goes, oh, nice to meet you. Good luck. I said, all right. And right then, Keith goes, okay, you guys do a 60-minute hard open, make up the matches on the show, and Scott throw it to the ring. Okay, in three, two, and that was it. I Holy went from crap. sitting down to standing there with Heenan, getting a hard count to make a hard time in <laughs> like 15 seconds. But I did it. We did it in one take. And, you know, Keith goes, you're a natural with this. I said, ah, thanks. It's all Bobby, you know, whatever. How so that, that worked? It was how, like that. It was like that stuff you saw us doing the other night in Athens. You know, we're doing those stand stand ups with the uh, with the talent, and it was it was that. How much did Bobby help you? Did he go out of his way? Because he could be very generous if he wanted to be. Oh yeah, well, right, uh, just the fact that he didn't try to break me up, um, right. or if he did, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, he he was he was terrific to work with. He was a lot of fun. Any Bobby uh, Bobby Heenan stories uh, off the top of your head? Yeah, the only Bobby Heenan stories I ever heard were third third hand. 
but they were all hysterical. Um, you know, like when he would uh, go into the hotel lobby and you got the guy that's buffing the floor, you know, with that little with that round thing, it's like three feet in diameter that just buffs the floor to make it shine, the nice hotel they put us up in. Right. And it's two in the morning and he goes in and basically trips over the wire and pulls the, or trips over the cord and using the cord pulls the thing over to him and he's like working the buffer all over the floor <laughs> like a, you know, a halfway dance routine, halfway Terry Funk match and finally just throws it on the ground and dusts himself off and keeps looking back at it. He's walking off to his room. I mean, those kind of stories. and I've seen that. But I, I've seen that before. That was good stuff. But uh, I know that we got to spend, especially on Night Shows and Thunders, that we, there was, a, at one point towards the end, an announcer's trailer. And so uh, sure. I, some of the highlights of my career are just memories of sitting in that <laughs> announcer's trailer with me, you, Shivani, who back then wasn't near as funny as he is now because he was miserable, uh, Lee Marshall, who was the voice of Tony the Tiger. Yeah. Uh, and sure. the and the sort of the butt of, he was like the butt of jokes, not in a negative way, but the, the guys like to rib him. And then Gene Okerlin, Larry Zabisco, yeah. and Bobby Heenan, and you could just lay out and listen to those three, and that was gold. Oh, yeah, that was gold. So some of the that's good- right. I, I, I'd give anything. I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, and I would never do it. But if I could just recorded what all happened in that trailer. I mean, I wouldn't sell it or give it away or let anybody else hear it, but I'll, I could go back and listen to that. It's like the old stories when you'd hear the you know, the old school guys. You know, we would drive from you know Savannah to Chattanooga and just uh, I learned the business in the back seat making that drive. That's what we were doing, or at least I was doing, is I was learning the business, uh, even though I was in WCW for better or for worse. I learned the business about listening to those guys tell stories and give advice and about how to you know, how to sell the match and what should be put over and what shouldn't and when to lay out and don't say anything and that, all that stuff. Yeah, it was amazing. And God, you know, we, I think we do a pretty decent podcast and there's other really good ones out there as well. But could you imagine you were there? Could you imagine taping every week uh, the, what, what happened in that trailer and putting it out and letting people listen to it? I mean, that'd be the number one podcast in the history of mankind. Oh, it, it, it wouldn't even be close. You're right. That that would be awesome. It would be good because you would learn something, but if you would have to stop laughing you know, and stop pissing yourself laughing just long enough to learn something because it was just hysterical with that bunch. I had uh, I had Larry on, but one of my biggest regrets is that we couldn't ever get Bobby on and uh, also Gene as well. Uh, but I have a lot of great memories of both of those guys. Not that I don't have great memories of Larry, but just so sad that uh, that we've lost them. Um, yeah. What would you you look back? What would you say is the highlight of your WCW run and the low light of the WCW run? Uh, you know, that's going to be the same night. Oh, wow. Um, uh, April 10th, 2000. That was the first night that I got to do Nitro. We were in Denver. And, um, you know, that was the night we started, you know, when Vince and Eric came back and we started the Millionaires Club, which is the New Blood feud and all that. Um, it was that huge night. It was a great show. And, but that was my first Nitro. I mean, I had done like three shows the summer previously when they put me in, you know, for whatever reason, they put me on and then had Rick Steiner beat me up and get me off TV. But I was, I was part of the team and that was my first Nitro. And the show was incredible. 
didn't make one mistake. Everything was fluid. We were hitting off of each other. And, you know, you give yourself the, you know, give each other the Iggy to know when you're finished. And so you can start talking and just this, the, the symmetry was perfect. The commentary was great. And on top of everything else, the wrestling and the booking were phenomenal. So that was, that was the night. I, that was perfect. I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to say we never did a better show because we probably did. But for me, that was as good as it got. Now, that and was I got what, back to the hotel. Not, not to interrupt you. And that I was my wife. Not to interrupt you. I'm that sorry? was what, not to interrupt you. That was one of the better, best booking, but best book night shows in the Vince Russo, uh, Eric Bischoff oh, yeah. era, in my opinion. So you, if it had been able to stay that way, we should probably still be a business. Is that because that was that was perfect? Yes. And I, I get back to the hotel and I call my wife, and I say, "Hey, did you see the show?" She goes, "Yeah, I did." You need to call your mom. And I said, I'll, I'll call her late. It's late. I'll call her tomorrow. And did you see, or did you hear when I said, or did you hear when, or did you see when this happened? I'm just, just, you know, how you're so, you're adrenaline. And she said, look, just call your mom. I said, don't worry about her. I'll call her later. She goes, your dad died tonight. Oh my God. And, um, so I said, what happened? And she said, call your mom. So I called my mom and she told me that, during the first commercial break, you know, when we said, ah, we'll be right back. And off we go to a Skittle spot or whatever. Uh, my dad got up to take the trash out and had a heart attack in front of my mom and was dead before he hit the floor. Oh my God. That's horrible. I'm so sorry to hear that. So uh, yeah, it was, it's been, you know, 19 years ago, but you know, I, I ran downstairs and everybody was still holding court in the hotel lobby bar. And I found Vince and Eric and I told them, and they said, all right, well, you know, go, go change your ticket. You know, just go, go home. And they were very nice. And they sent flowers to the funeral and all that. So it was a, it was a, it was a, a crazy night for the, but you said what was the highlight and what was the low light? That was the same night. Any solace in the fact that he did get to see you doing the first segment of Nitro? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and he had seen everything else I had done sure. up until that point. So I'd done you know a lot, but yeah, it was it was cool. And he's you know he would he would brag about it to you know to friends. I mean, it was his dad that got me hooked on you know on the in, on the sport. How many ever years? Thirty years previously, and my granddad had long since passed away. But you know that you know that was yeah that was if he had to go. And everybody has to. It was it, it was cool that he went, you know, watching me on on Nitro. Yeah, that's bittersweet for sure. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. That one kind of hit me. Uh, we've we've hit on this a little bit. Uh, in your opinion, what? And this is a question from Benny Douglas off of Twitter. So I want to thank Benny. Sure. Uh, in your opinion, what was the beginning of the end of WCW? Everybody has their own moment when they kind of saw that the end was near. What was yours? When when they, and I say they, when we did the uh, the finger poke of doom, you uh, really, when when uh, when Kevin took that bump from the finger from Hogan to get yeah. the strap back, yep, that there was something about that that I just, and I remember watching. I'm thinking like, this this is not going to work. This is this is you know booking for the boys. It's not even booking for the sheets. This is booking for the boys. And you know if we want to have 80 wrestlers in the stands, this is perfect, but we want to have millions and millions watching at home to steal buffers line. 
um, and this just isn't going to work. And it, it wasn't Arquette being the champion. It wasn't to me, and it's my opinion, but it wasn't Arquette being the champion. It wasn't that. It wasn't when we ended Goldberg's streak. You can come back from any, you know, uh, you know, from from the end of any hot angle. You just launch the next hot angle. But that to me, just killed it. I mean, it was you know we're 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 never coming back from this because we just devalued. You know, forget devaluing the title. That had you know they, they didn't need anything back then anyway. But they don't mean they certainly don't mean anything now. But yeah. that there's something about the way that came across on television. Oh, this is a, this is going to insult um, the the people watching the show. And you know I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I know no, that it, it's funny. Yeah, let, but oh. as a but as, as a business, it was when um, Jamie Kelmer took over. But as a and in booking. Uh, it was that, and that sent uh, that our, our, you know, dollars and cents, our balance sheet into the toilet, so that when Jamie Kellner, who is a, a five-star dumbass, can't tie his own shoes, when he came in and saw how bad our books were and how bad our ratings were, you know, he thought, well, this is a great way to get rid of wrestling, which he didn't like anyway. But the reason it was in that bad of shape, I think, goes back to that to that angle. A lot that, of that a lot of people say that. I remember Bobby Heenan being adamant uh, after it was over that that was the end, and I was you know I was more positive. Uh, I didn't think it was that big a deal, but it turns out that a lot of people uh, point to that same point. It's funny, ironic. Point really? to that same okay. finger point. Yeah, I I can remember Bobby was was was. Uh, out of his mind, said back at the hotel, saying, we, "This company's dead." And I was like, "Bobby, don't you think you're overreacting? You know, they do a lot of stupid stuff." And he's like, "No, That's it's, true. it's dead." And and sure enough, unfortunately, he was right. Uh, took a took a little while, but to put us out of our misery. Speaking about yeah. that, you got to call the final Nitro. Maybe what you're most well known for. Uh, I don't know. Do you think that's what you're most well known for? Is calling the final Nitro? Well, it's either that or when Vince made me take my shirt off. Somehow I don't recall that. I I, I blocked that out from my memory. Uh, Uh, I've I've tried to, but nobody lets me forget it. You know, just when it's starting to get back there in the back and almost ready to go out. Hey, Scott, I found this on the Internet. Oh, did you have to show that? Uh, But, yeah, the final, that that was obviously a negative. But the final Nitro was, was, you talk about bittersweet. Um, That was bittersweet. That was... That was tough. Um, when when that, I think you and I spoke about this the other night in Athens, that when that show was over, um, for us it was over, you know, an hour and a half into the three-hour show because the last hour and a half was a simulcast with Raw, um, so we had nothing to do. You know, we let we did, we called Sting and Flair, and then we were done and we were finished. We didn't know what was next, but we knew that night we were done and probably going to be done forever. And Tony comes up, Tony Schiavone comes up and says, what time is your flight? I said, you know, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, five thirty. And he said, I'll tell you what, cancel it. Let's go home. Like, what do you mean? He goes, I, I just don't feel like flying. I got a rental car. Let's just drive home. So I grabbed my stuff and we threw in his rental car and drove back from Panama city beach all the way to Atlanta. He dropped me off at my house, but that's a five and a half hour drive with just me and Shivani talking like this, like me and you just talking old stories and, favorite angles and what was fun and what was horrible and memories and who was funny and who wasn't and Gene Okerlund stories. And that was, that was an incredible ride home. 
I can imagine. I went and got drunk. I told as I told you the other night. So <laughs> different people have different ways of uh, of drowning their sorrows, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, if I didn't have to be at a five o'clock flight, I probably would have done the same thing. I did get complimented by uh, by Shane McMahon though, and I after the show, he was put me over and said I was really energetic, and he appreciated that I got the crowd into it. So I thought at one point that really? that might uh, be a good sign, but as we all know, it never ended up. Uh, yeah. To be that now, a guy named Marcus on Twitter uh, forwarded me something. Uh, it was a, a review, and then there's like about a thirty second clip you could barely see. You guys that I never knew took place, and I'm I'm very interested in hearing the story behind this because apparently yeah. after that night, you guys, you and Tanae voiced over the final WCW Worldwide that aired that weekend, and I would think that. Now, was that voiced over before WCW Nitro, the last one? Yeah, we we, we did with that. What what he's what Marcus sent you is probably the the worldwide that we taped the Wednesday before the final Nitro. We taped worldwide on on Wednesdays, and um, it aired probably the weekend after Nitro. Like Correct. If we tape it Wednesday, Nitro. Monday, the next weekend is when those worldwide would air in syndication uh, because we'd go back in and edit in some nitro stuff. But yeah, and we we did two endings uh, for that for that show. Both of them, you know, two and a half minutes long, whatever it was. And one of them was the one that aired, which was we're done, we're closing up shop, we're setting this circus down, we'll see you on down the road or whatever. And the other one was get ready for the, the launch of the new WCW and bigger and better than you've ever experienced and we'll have more about that next week and they had to pick which one to air and it was the one that said we were gone yeah, that makes sense now because the thing that i couldn't get in my head was if you'd have done that after the night show i couldn't imagine how that would have been done because i don't know if you were there but they called us all in on wednesday morning and uh into the power plant and had a hr meeting and when we came oh, back i remember i was there when we came back, yeah, our that. our computer was uh, erased, and and uh, and all our computers were erased and down. And uh, they basically said you can't leave the building, not even to go smoke a cigarette until you're never never going to come in again. So I couldn't imagine yeah. I couldn't imagine how that you guys they would have had you guys call that. But I also couldn't imagine. Uh, how you guys knew for sure that it was the end of WCW. I also read the, the, the recap of that and it seemed like you guys without being too, without being unprofessional had, had, had a good time. Uh, uh, <laughs> there was a, a segment with Tanae doing a uh, Larry Zabisco impression, I think, and the, the, the crew sure. got into it. Well, that, yes. And the reason why was we had nothing to pump. I mean, we hadn't, we had no pay-per-view to put over, we had, you know, because that, that's the easy as an announcer, um, you, you know, you can always fall. If you can't think of anything to say, always fall back on what's the next paper, what's going to happen Monday, either on Raw or Nitro. You know, what angle is hot? Put that over, even if it's an enhancement match. You always have something to say because something's going on. You can fall back on it. But when we did that worldwide, there was nothing. There was no next pay-per-view. Even if there was going to be one, we didn't know it. So we just had to come up with stuff to do. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we did a whole lot of crazy stuff on that episode. 
Yeah, I'd love to see a, uh, I'd love to see that episode. I never even knew that aired. Uh, but th- there was a lot of, uh, 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 confusion on the internet as half of, half of it was you guys like promoting talent, like, uh, uh, Jason Jett or who was the, the, the kid that right. was getting over and and then half of it was like you guys uh, kind of messing around because it was over and nobody could understand yeah. why and, and now I understand because you didn't really know what you were doing it was it was before the first the, it was before the last night show so you had nothing to, to pump yeah. it's you know if you would have done it afterwards That's you right. could you could have talked about you know Shane McMahon buying WCW so you guys were flying blind so that makes sense but That's I had right. never heard about that before so glad to, uh, to to get that so you went to uh, Raw in Tacoma. Uh, how 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 was that experience? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you indifferent at that point? Uh, no, I wasn't nervous. I got a call from uh, man. Kevin Dunn called me. Uh, you know, a, a month or two after you know the final Nitro, and said that Jim Ross was going to be in town. And he wanted to meet with all Atlanta-based WCW talent. Um, yeah, to I was gauge their interest in, at a hotel, right? At a Marriott. Yeah, it was correct? at the Ritz Carlton up Ritz Carlton. The Ritz. It was the Ritz Carlton up at uh, Lenox Square at Phipps Plaza. Yeah, we each got about and fifteen minutes. With, right, and I went and met with Jim, and I said, you know, hey Jim, it's good to see you. And, you know, hug, and I said, look, I'll spend fifteen minutes talking wrestling with you, but I have no interest in doing anything. Um, and he goes, okay, well, great. And so we talked, watched UWF for you know, probably <laughs> half an hour. And, and he goes, well, I got to see somebody. I said, all right, well, great, Jim. Good luck up there. Uh, enjoy your work, you know. And I'll talk to you later on. That was it. I didn't talk anything about WWF. And then out of nowhere, about a month, uh, a month and a half later, Kevin calls me back and says they've got this idea and they want me to be a part of it. And um, would I come up and? audition. So I said, sure. So they flew me up there, put me through my paces. Oh my God. I mean, it was, it was hell. Um, but it was fun. And I'll tell you this somewhere in the, in the bowels of the production facility in, uh, Stanford is an addition of SmackDown, a one hour version of SmackDown. I think that they syndicated internationally back then that is hosted by me and Michael Hayes. We did wow. the whole show together, um, and it was great. We had a blast. Um, and then I did interviews um, with some of the talent, and then when they, you know, they wanted me to interview other talent, and they had coachmen come in and imitate the other talent that I'm supposed to be interviewing, oh, wow. and try to throw me off, and I wouldn't get thrown off. Um, so anyway, it went great. At the end, they said. You know, Vince has been watching. We've been feeding this to his office. He likes what he sees. You know, you're you're good at this, uh, and we want to meet. So I met with Vince, and they, you know, said didn't make an offer. They just said, blah, 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 you'll hear from us with an offer." So the offer came in, and it was ridiculous. I mean, in 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 a, in a word, based on what I was making at WCW and what I'm making my real job, which is not peanuts, um, they wanted me to take a hundred thousand dollar pay cut quit my real job and move my family to Connecticut where the cost of living is double than it is in Atlanta. So yeah, it's it really twice as much. So least. it's really a $200,000 pay cut. Yeah. I said, thank you. No, good luck. And that was it. And then they called back a couple of weeks later and said, we've got another idea. Will you come in just to make a couple of shots to help me over this new angle we've got planned? And that was the invasion angle. And we all saw how that turned out. 
So when you're, I have a couple of questions about that night. Johnny A swears to this day, John Laurinaitis, and that, and I'm assuming you were in the production meeting in Tacoma, that yeah. somebody, yeah. that some, and I'm just, uh, I've always wondered if he was full of crap or, I, I tend to believe Johnny on this one, but you could, you could be the, uh, uh, the yay or the nay. He swears to this okay. day. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I believe him too. I like him. So I, it's, well, I he, believe it. He called me after that because the next week, the night, uh, uh, Raw was in Atlanta where I lived. So, so right. he, he called me like on the Wednesday of uh, after they were done with Raw and SmackDown. And he said, so I'm in the production meeting in Tacoma and somebody says, who's going to ring announce the WCW match? And Vince's response was, well, who's the WCW ring announcer? And somebody said, David Penzer. And I guess Vince said, well, is he here? Like, like if I'd have been there, they'd have used me. And they said, no, he's not here. <laughs> so they used Stacey Keebler. True or false? I, I don't know is the truth, but I would not be surprised if that's not 100% true. Because he told me, he said, come to Atlanta, and, and it, you know, if he asks again, or I'll tell him you're here. And But that, as we all know, that was when they combined uh, ECW and WCW. Yeah, and, they remember well, everything went to hell, yeah. Do you yeah. think... Yeah, do yeah, you, yeah. and then... Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're smart. You're a smart guy to the business. Very smart. When they and you knew that WCW had no legs in Tacoma, uh, Buff Bagwell and Booker T. God bless them. Uh, were not you know the top guys from WCW. The Hogans and the Nashes and the Halls. Uh, did you did you see the writing on the wall? And do you think they did it on? If you did see the writing on the wall, do you think they did it on purpose instead of uh, waiting a week and going back in Atlanta where it might have actually gotten over? Yes and yes. Um, no offense to, to Buff and Booker at all. Both can go. No, no question. They could put on a great match, but they were told to go work a WCW match. And then when they, you know, when they saw, what do you mean a WCW match? Oh, go, you know, do some headlocks and some, you know, standing switches and go behinds and arm bars and, you know, body scissors and all that stuff, which, you know, when you build up a thing like that, they're supposed to come out and work like Ray Jr. and Cicosis, although that would never happen with those two, but they're certainly not supposed to stand there in, in like a 45-second headlock. So they were basically produced into having a horrible match, um, which, you know, wasn't a horrible match. It was just an average WCW worldwide match, but it was the first WCW match on Raw and no offense to them, it was Buff and Booker. It yeah. should have been Goldberg and Kevin or Scott Hall and Kevin Nash against Sting and Goldberg or God knows what. Then you know and I know why that didn't happen. You know, their contracts, they were still getting paid and they weren't going to show up and all this other stuff. But it was, it was snake bit from the beginning. There was no way they were ever going to let uh, any WCW talent get over Booker eventually did. And Ray jr. Eventually did just because they're so good. Right. And they wouldn't know they did what they were told and were there from the beginning, but no, they they were, they, they, they succeeded in spite of themselves up yeah. there. They were never, ever going to let anybody from WCW get over. Wow, that's great insight. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I don't have any, when I look back at my career, I don't have any regrets about not being in WWE. I do have a, still on my bucket list, which will never get checked off, though. Uh, something uh, on my bucket list is, was be to, to ring announce a WrestleMania. Any, any, mm. any uh, regret that you didn't get to call a WrestleMania? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No, none, none whatsoever. I mean, again, to bring it back full circle, like what we've been talking about is 
I'm a I'm a five year old in a little tiny house on the poor side of Cuthbert, Georgia, with my granddad watching wrestling on a little tiny black and white TV, and I ended up on Nitro and all these other shows and getting to hang with my heroes for years and years and years and years and still do. And we got paid for it. No, I don't. I don't have any, and get, and get paid for it. I don't. I don't have any regrets. None. The fact that the only regret I'd ever have is when I, and I hope this is impression that, that, you know, whenever I eventually pass away, that I won't be able to do it anymore. That's the regret. But otherwise, none. I guess, I guess I just want it all. I want my WrestleMania moment too. I'm not, uh, no, I'm, look, if I knock on wood, if I died tomorrow, I, I, I got to live my dream. And like, well, like you said, I got to meet my heroes and become friends with them and got a little money for it too. So, uh, but yeah, just, uh, the, the only two things left on my bucket list for the business are that and ring announcing in Madison Square Garden. And I don't think either of those are going to happen anytime soon or ever at all. Um, um, tell me about uh, your, your time in TNA. How long were you there for, and uh, uh, what was your role? Um, well, when when TNA first hatched, it was uh, Jerry and Jeff Jarrett, obviously, right? And they started up in in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Their first pay per view when right. they were doing those weekly pay per views was in Huntsville. Um, so I called Siobhan. Like on that weekend before the first one, and I said, "Have you heard about this thing, Jeff's doing?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be yes, good life. She should do well." I said, "Let's go." Okay, so we, he and I, drove, were there. We were backstage and hanging out um, and watching the show uh, at that first TNA pay per view, and you know, hooked up with uh, you know with Jeff and Vince, and I wasn't interested in working there at all, and it, it wasn't like that night. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I was done. Uh, and neither when Tony wasn't either. Tony was still working for WSB Radio in Atlanta and doing Georgia games and stuff, sure. University of Georgia football games. And um, out of nowhere, uh, Jeff calls me and says, uh, we want to do a thing with the backstage announcer. Can you do that? I said, of course. Yeah, whatever you need. I'll do it. So I would I would uh, leave Atlanta at 3 o'clock on Wednesdays. You know, you lose the hour going to Nashville. Right. So I'd get to Nashville about – 5.15 on Wednesday for a 7 o'clock pay-per-view and do live backstage interviews. And they had uh, a female backstage interviewer named Goldilocks who was and, and still is a beautiful girl and immensely talented. And she's just being wasted doing backstage interviews because she's so good looking. She's like Pamela Paul shock, except no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, and, there you go. I was going to say <laughs> Pamela Paul so they, they was immensely beautiful, but not so not as talented as Goldilocks. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they wanted to move Goldie to be a manager and do stuff with her, which so, made sense because she was really that good. So they needed to have somebody to do the backstage interview. They trusted, they trusted me. And that was it. And I had a blast there too. That was a lot of fun. How long did you do that for? Did you ever go down to Orlando with them or just the stuff in, uh, that, that in was Nashville? when I left, I went and I did one Orlando pay-per-view. Um, uh, yeah, well that would have been probably December of 2004. I was there. So I was there from the end of 2002 then to two years. Yeah, I had a five-year run in Orlando, which uh, was supposed to be one night. So it's sort of like a similar story. But uh, yeah, that God. was fun. I, I working down there at uh, uh, Universal. That what was it? Was it Universal or TNA? Uh, yeah, Universal Studios. It was. Yeah, that that, that was that was a, a cool building and a good environment. I worked the night that Elix Skipper 
walked to the top of the cage and did the the runner from the top of the cage back into the ring. You remember that? Yeah, I do. That was that was my one Orlando TNA uh, shot. It, it was great. the great thing about Orlando, and I've talked about it before. Is is, is kind of like the trailer in WCW. There was a. Um, there was a, 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 you know, where we had the production meetings, there was a big round table. It was uh, like a meeting office and they had, you know, uh, mm-hmm. chairs. And so for like three hours between the production meeting and getting ready for the show, I would sit there with Mike Tanay and Don West and an ever different mm-hmm. flowing group of people that would come in and have what they call. So they'd say, so Kevin Nash would call in and they would say, would come in and they'd say, oh, it's time for Nash time. And then uh, Bubba Ray would come <laughs> in and say, it's time for Bubba Ray time. And then we had Jim Cornette. We had Jim Cornette time and we had Dutch time. And, uh, and I I don't know if you got to know Don that well, but Don's one of the funniest guys anyway. And, and, and today had come out of his shell or maybe I just didn't realize it in WCW that he was wise ass, but, uh, some of the, some of the best times I couldn't believe I was getting paid to, to sit there and for three hours a, a day or four hours a day listen to like wrestling gold. It was the, I would say that in some yeah. way, in some ways it was even better than the trailer because there wasn't the stress of mm. Nitro and WCW and all that craziness yeah. that was going yeah. on. But uh, uh, I can say I agree fully. I agree. So you still a fan? You know, David, I I I, I have the network, so yes, and. But uh, and I have I, I record Lucha and Ring of Honor and Raw and SmackDown and uh, and uh, Impact on, on my TiVo. But I find myself anymore just either just deleting them without watching them. Once I read the reviews and the reviews are not good, I'll just I'm not gonna I don't have time. Um, so yeah, I'm a fan, but I'm a fan of this of of older stuff. Like you know, and it's it's a cliche. And I don't uh, you know, I'm I'm old. I'll also be 55 years old. So I'm old. I'm very old. But I would much rather go back and watch, you know, anything from the 70s and and 80s and 90s up until you know uh, Nitro went under. Yeah. That that to me, you know, from the day my granddad first showed me WRBL to the final Nitro, anything in that window, I'm good with. After that, you know, there's some TNA stuff that was good. Um, Actually, there's a lot of TNA. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll expand that to the when I, when I let, when TNA left Nashville, uh, 2004. But it's just you know, eh, I just I just can't get into it because any any more the guys that they're pushing don't look like the superheroes that they used to be to me. You know, where, you know where's where's Ox Baker? And God knows that guy couldn't work. He was a great guy, but he couldn't work. But, yeah. you know, those kind of guys. Where's Nikita Koloff? Where are those guys anymore? I mean, for every Rusev, you've got five Kurt Hawkins, you know, and they look great and they've got abs and they're good looking guys and they can flip around. And But so what? When everybody looks alike, nobody stands out. And the more that the WWE. Uh, monopolizes things, and you know, God love them. They won the war. They get to they get to write the history books. Um, but the more the more they dominate things, the more it becomes so saccharine. I mean, you got scripted promos, and I know we had that with Vince with, with Russo. But you know, you got guys that can't even cut a promo. Right. Uh, you put a mic in front of them, they're lost. What do I say? We'll put over the match. How do you, how do I, how am I supposed to do that? I don't have a script. 
And, you know, and they all have abs. They all have either buzz cuts and big beards or long hair. And, you know, nobody stands out anymore. They're all just so cookie cutter and generic. But again, they're making money and they're paying their stock holders and that's what matters. So it's, it's passed me by and I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, we had uh, P.J. Black, Justin Gabriel, on a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that uh, at, at one point uh, Vince decided that he wanted the brand to be what sold tickets, not uh, build the company around any one person. Uh, so, right. I mean, you know, John Cena was the star, and now Roman Reigns is a star, but they're not Hulk Hogan, and uh, maybe Cena was, but, uh, and uh, you know, they're not Ultimate Warrior, and uh, they're, they, he doesn't want to ever be put in a position where somebody could hold him up. I, I sort of get that, but I'm with you. I DV, it's, it's funny. It's so funny how our stories are so similar all the way from the wrestling mm-hmm. magazine stuff to the, uh, to, to, you know, getting into business and, um, and, and now cause I DVR it all and I end up probably either fast forwarding through it, uh, in 10 minutes or I just don't even watch it at all. I erase it. Uh, yep. I did. I did. I, I, I remember when you said about Vince saying the brand, I remember back in, God, this is probably, Mania, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but like 93, 94, we were going over to, you remember Chris Canyon, right? Right. God bless him. Uh, he, he lived up in East Cobb. Yeah, he was, he was great. He, he had, he lived in East Cobb. He had this big old house with a pool that was like a resort pool and we go to his house and watch pay-per-views. And he had this big screen TV and it was awesome going over to Chris's house to watch those shows. Anyway, we went to a, um, to a mania at, at his house one year. And, you know, there was like 60 people. There was a blast. But I remember there was an observer that came out. I guess it was an observer that came out that week where Vince was quoted at the press conference for Mania because whatever Mania that was, there were no stars. You know how they'd bring in Ali or they'd bring in Liberace or they'd bring in sure. Bob Uecker or, you know, they'd bring in this one A-list or B or C or D-list celebrity. But one year he stopped doing it. And the quote that he gave was, our wrestlers are the stars. I don't need stars anymore. Yep. And you know, that, that was, I thought, that's really smart. You know, people should, you know, people aren't going to pay extra to see Bob Uecker. God love him. But, you know, they're going to pay to see whoever was on top back then, Sean, Brett, you know, some of those guys. And that, and that was a smart way to do business. And that's, you know, he's still doing that. And that's it's, uh, it's the equivalent of saying the brand is the star, not John Cena, not Roman Reigns, not anybody else. Nobody could hold him up that way. If the WWE is what puts him in the seats, uh, the name and the, 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 you know, the excitement of the whole product instead of one particular person. Uh, I see the positives of it. I see the negatives of it, but it is what it is. He's running a, a multi-billion dollar business. And, uh, and so God bless him. Hey, one last question before I ask you what you're doing now. So we could, uh, uh, let the fans know what you're up to. Uh, okay. Brandon Goldberg uh, wanted to know, uh, what's the most memorable wrestling match you ever called and why? Oh, wow. The most memorable match. Oh, God, there's so many. Uh, uh, you know, I would, I, only because I'm sure that it's not the one, so I'm not even going to try to make it one, but I'll say that whatever match it was, Probably involved, not probably, definitely involved one of these guys, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Ray Jr., uh, Juventud Guerrero, Psicosis, uh, those guys. Whatever match, if those guys just pull out of a hat and throw them in the ring, 
those would be memorable to me. I, you know, I, 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 I as a fan, it, it, sometimes I could watch that and just forget that I'm supposed to be announcing the match because I'm just so in awe of the talent. But as far as momentous, I don't think anything compares to Flair and Sting on the final Nitro. I mean, that's 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 if that's if that's my legacy that Tony and I got to call that uh, from La Vila and Panama City Beach, then so be it. I agree with you a thousand percent. So just so the fans know, what are you up to now? Still in the court system, huh? I am. I have uh, always had dual careers um, from 1985 until this very second. I'm sitting in my office right now. Um, I have worked in either with the state of Georgia uh, for the state board of pardons and paroles, and for you know, for a long time I was a mid-level manager working out of the state capitol. And then in 1994, I moved down the street to work for the federal courts, and I still do that now. And I'm, uh, I've been lucky uh, enough to now be the uh, what they refer to my title as the chief of supervision, investigations, administration, information technology. Uh, just a lot of stuff, a lot of divisions up under me that we handle for the people listening to this podcast. We work for them. We work for anybody that pays taxes, and we manage the court system uh, here in the Northern District of Georgia in Atlanta. And I'm uh, very fortunate to do that. Well, I'm glad that you're doing well, and uh, it was great to see you. I will not see you in Griffin because I have to be the uh, – uh, WrestleMania weekend, but I hope to see you at the uh, UCW. Oh, well, then I'm probably not going to go. I'm not going to go myself. Yeah, I, You're not going to be there on my <laughs> They might need somebody to ring announce. That's <laughs> true. That's true. I'll have to step up. There you I go. I, my tux. I, had a pre- I didn't wear a tux. Nobody wears a tux anymore. I couldn't believe. I watched the Royal Rumble because it's my favorite pay-per-view of the year, the Royal Rumble match. So I watched the Royal Rumble. Yeah. And um, the ring announcer in WWE, uh, I didn't even know who he was. He was just wearing like a business suit with like uh, tan shoes. I'm like, it's like the second biggest pay-per-view and nobody gets dressed up anymore. And I guess nobody does. Yeah. So. If you can't beat him, join him. I'd, uh, I'd just wear a black suit and a, and a white shirt now because my tux doesn't fit. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to get another one because then I have to tap out that I'm fat. So, uh, <laughs> so hey, it was great to see you. I knew as soon as I saw you, I said, I got to get him on the podcast. Uh, you're one of the good ones. And uh, uh, your, your story is, 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 is like mine, you know, uh, everyone's dream. Every fan that sits out there that yeah. dreams about finding a way in. And uh, it was a lot harder back then than it is now. But uh, we found we yeah. both found our way in. We're both still hanging around and uh, 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 enjoying it. But uh, I thank you so much. And uh, best of luck and i hope to see you uh down the road uh up there when uh we get to uh, another uh, universal championship wrestling event that was a blast i can't wait it was my pleasure and my honor david it's always good to talk to you thank you so much for having me thank you scott great stuff appreciate it all right you bet see ya want to thank Scott Hudson uh, for being on. Great to reminisce with him, and it was every bit as fun as I thought it would be. He does. He's not on Twitter, but he's on Facebook, so you can follow him on Facebook. Not exactly sure of his Facebook handle, but I'm sure you could just type in Scott Hudson in the search box, and it will pop right up. Uh, Scott Hudson uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. In that vein, uh, crossing my fingers, saying a prayer that uh, Scott Steiner will be on next week. If not, I'm sure we'll have a great guest and we'll get Scott Steiner on the next week. And uh, uh, he can promote his Shoney's in Ackworth, Georgia. And uh, from what I hear, it has a full bar. 
I have a full bar, by the way. Also, I could, should I include that in the uh, the weekend at Pen- WrestleMania weekend at Penzers? All you could drink. I hope you like vodka or wine. Anyway, thanks a lot to Scott Hudson. Really appreciate it. Thanks to those who asked questions. Uh, couldn't use all of them, but I used uh, many. And uh, the, the the WCW Worldwide stuff is really cool. Uh, I didn't think it was taped after Nitro, although that's what the word on the Internet was. But it, it's fun to get the... the, the as they, uh, as they used to say, Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Uh, so... Great stuff, great reminiscing, and um, I guess until next time, this is David Penzer, still City of Ringside, crossing my fingers for Scott Steiner. Follow David Penzer on Twitter, at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence. All right, so a couple years ago, I am uh, walking through the NRA show, the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago. And I'm, I'm interacting. I'm with one of my clients. He and I ended up becoming really good buddies. And we walk up to this huge plate area to look at some of these cool plates. And out walks this very dynamic, very beautiful woman who comes over and starts kind of engaging with us and talking to us about plates and what's your project and what are you guys doing? And what are you guys thinking about plateware? And her and I ended up becoming friends and her name is Jacqueline Mangione and Jacqueline works for a plate company. And she is basically a consultant to help you open your restaurants with stuff. We've been friends for the last four years have on you ready for this. We've seen each other twice in four years, but there's a relationship that's here. That is one of, of just a great friendship and a tremendous amount of respect because I love what she does. She travels all over the world. She meets great people. She eats amazing food and she's a super, super cool chick. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Duffified Live, Jacqueline Mangione, also known as the Plate Princess. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com.